Well, these Advent moments, they're all intended with, you know, we have Christmas lights, we have Christmas trees, we have uh, all the different things we do, the traditions we have, the movies we watch. There's something behind all of it, and we all know it. We all know that behind every reason we celebrate is Jesus, and and I, when I say that, I don't mean that Jesus created that, likes that. I'm not even quite sure what Jesus would think of our Americanized, commercialized version of Christmas. But I do know that the reason why we do it is because a long, long time ago, the Christian tradition decided that December 25th would be the day that we'd celebrate the birth of Christ and his coming into the world in a radical willingness to come and to not only be with us, but to love us and to save us and so we acknowledge there's a moment in time in which the Son of God came into the world. And that's why we do this. And it gets, it gets a little bit weird why we, you know, and how it happens. It has it become other things in this world? Sure. Has Christmas become things that some people ignore? The, the why behind it all, of course, uh, is the extravagance and the commercialism overboard at times, uh, definitely. Um, but as a community who claims... Jesus, and who claims Jesus as Lord, I think all of us in here want to be connected to why we're doing all this, and why Christmas is happening the way it happens, and I love Christmas, and I know a lot of you do too. Who in here is like a Christmas fan? Like you say, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, some of you aren't. What's wrong with you? Um, I love that we're all on this weird, strange behavior. For a month, we do all sorts of things together, and everybody's like, cool with it. Like, we decorate our houses and our yards, and everybody's like, that's awesome. People are like, listen to the same music over and over again. We've been listening to this music forever. We wouldn't do this with any other thing else. You wouldn't be listening to, like, your 90s mixtape today, but we do it with Christmas. We're like, play that song again, you know what I mean? And we want to hear it. We, we're all in on this together. We watch our favorite movies, whether it be Christmas Vacation or Home Alone, or what I would say is the underrated classic jingle all the way. You cannot get better than Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad Combo, my friends. It's really, really good. Most of us get into this. Some of us get into it more than others. You know who you are, Christmas sweater people. Um, but what do we need to do in the middle of all this, right? I believe we find some incredible things in Scripture that will help us this morning with that. Even just a few days away from Christmas, some ways that... I believe God wants to connect with us and show us and remind us of some things and maybe show us for the first time of some things. And, you know, we've been touching on these things through, through our Advent moments, but just even these themes that we're not necessarily preaching on these things, but we've been touching on them, that, God, that, that Jesus is love. You know, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. That Jesus is our hope in the midst of the chaos of the world, the lostness of everything, where people are searching for something to cling to. Jesus is the hope of the world. That Jesus is our he is our joy. What does it say? I mean, it says that, that, that the angel came and he said, I have great news, good news of, or great joy. There's been a Savior born. And then he said, next week we'll talk about how Jesus is peace. That he is our peace. And again, the angel says, he comes to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all people. And so this is, this is some of the things that we know we have to remember and that we get to kind of be encouraged by at Christmas but I believe there's something else alive in this word, Emmanuel, that we, I want to talk about. One of the other things that we see in Scripture is this, this name again and again, and perhaps you know a little bit about it. We've already sang about it. We already know that it means God with us. But uh, a good place to begin with this whole idea is Matthew 1. I'm going to read, starting in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, and we'll, uh, 
kind of dive into this whole idea. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they were married, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, which I'm sure did not make Joseph happy, right? He didn't know this. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, couple things about this. First of all, you'll see in this right here, Emmanuel spelled with an I. You see it spelled with an E, just in case you're wondering what that's all about. The Greek spelling is with an E. The Hebrew spelling is with an I. There you go. Same thing. Then also, you'll hear, you see this thing where it says, you'll call him, you'll name him Jesus, but you'll call him Emmanuel. What's that about? Like, is he Jesus or Emmanuel? Which one is it? Well, here's the thing. He's named Jesus, but he's called Emmanuel, just like he's called a lot of other things. Anybody ever called names? <laughs> um, this is what we call him, what, Prince of Peace, Savior, Messiah, uh, Isaiah, Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting. We go on and on about these names, the things that we call Jesus, and Emmanuel is one of the things that we call Jesus. He is incarnationally in the flesh, God with us. And so this is one of the great labels, if you will, and names of Jesus. And I believe God's been trying to get this message, this idea of God with us, this idea of Emmanuel. He's been trying to get it into the heads of his people for a really, really long time. Like he's been trying to say this message over and over to them forever. Have you ever tried to get an idea across to someone and they're just not quite getting it? You know what I mean? You're like, I don't think you were on the same page. I mean, I'm sure teachers, if any teachers in the room, you get this, you're like, you're teaching and then you get 25 blank stares back at you after you say what you thought was crystal clear. Parents have this all the time, right? We're trying to tell our kids things and we're just like, when are they gonna get it? Like, some of it's just the simple stuff, right? Like, pick your clothes up off the floor, eat your vegetables. No, you cannot buy that app for 99 cents, right? Go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. <laughs> that was a little too far probably but and, and it's not always just um the parental correction but sometimes we're trying to get things across to our kids that are really good things right about who they are and what they could be and what God wants to do in them and we say these things again and again and again and it's like God who is our heavenly father is saying to his kids again and again and again like do you understand that I'm with you do you understand that I'm with you and we're like yeah I get it I get it and then we go and live and we don't live like he's with us and he's like I'm trying to get an idea in your head. And he's been saying it for a really, really long time. And you're like, well, like, how, your, your natural question is, well, how long has he been saying it, Tim? Tell us. Okay, I will. So in the beginning of this book, in the story of Genesis, you start to see this message come alive. There's, this, there's a guy named Abraham, right? And Abraham has this moment with God, and God says to him, he says, Abraham, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. And this whole story of him and his people was born. Not many uh, years later, his grandson, Jacob, is, is, is feeling like God has left him. He's nowhere with them. And there's this dream that he has. And in the dream, it says, Jacob, I'm with you wherever you go. 
and it keeps going, the story keeps going, and you, kind of, you start to see this theme, and I can't even reference all of them because there's so many. You get to Exodus, you don't get much further. You get to Moses, and if you guys know Moses' the story, right, he's in the wilderness, and he's thinking he's, he's, he's finally, like, been abandoned by God. He's had a runaway. He's, on, he's living in exile, and, he sh- and God shows up to him, and he says, I want to do something with you, and, and Moses says what? He says, well, who, who am I, and what, is, what does God say? I'm with you, Moses. I will be with you. He's like, who am I? The answer isn't even who Moses is. The answer is I'm with you. That's all you need to know. Goes on a little further, right? Joshua replaces Moses. Moses dies. Joshua replaces Moses. Moses in the very first chapter of the book of Joshua, he says, do not be discouraged. Do not or be encouraged by this, that I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will be with you, Joshua, wherever you go. This is the first thing he says to Joshua. Then it goes on, and we can go into other stories, and some of the ones that you guys know, David's about to go up against Goliath, right? And someone speaks to him and says, hey, the Lord will be with you. Story goes on. Have you ever read the Psalms? <laughs> All the Psalms are just about how God is with us over and over again. And sometimes it's like, again, it's like this idea that, yeah, we believe God's with us when there's these big moments, but then when the big moment kind of fades, we kind of forget this reality. And you ever been a kid, like, when you you were a kid and you were in class and the teacher leaves the classroom? You know what I'm talking about? What happens in that moment? It's like, typically, like, everybody quits working. Everybody, I mean, it's like paper, airplanes, whatever it is, you know, everybody's goofing off. And everybody believes, like, hey, the teacher's, away, well, the, you know, the cat's away, so to speak, the mice will play, it's that kind of mentality. And there's something going on in the Old Testament that's very true to this mentality in which they believe God's like left the room. And they start doing all sorts of weird things. They start doing things like worshiping golden calves, which is really weird if you think about it. And they start worshiping other gods and they start they keep forgetting that God is with them and they start worshiping other idols they they this plane will quit living like God is with them right and they're just kind of living far away from God and then all of a sudden we get to this story with the prophet Isaiah and it's the story of a guy named King Ahaz and he's doubting if God is really with us and he asked the prophet Isaiah he said show us a sign to prove that God is truly with us so he asked actually asked God, show us a sign that God is truly with us. And then in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Isaiah says something that becomes one of the great prophecies. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Now, this is 700 years before Jesus comes, right? And God continues to say, I am with you. And he essentially says, I guess I'm going to have to come down there to prove that I'm with you, right? And Jesus is born to a virgin. Of course, he becomes known as Emmanuel. And what happens with Jesus? Well, he keeps going. Again, he's trying to get this idea in, his head, in our head. And what is the very, some of the very last words that Jesus says to his disciples? I will be with you to the very end of the age. And what, what happens after that? He says, and then I'm actually going to send my spirit. and My spirit's going to be with you. It's actually going to be called comforter, counselor. See, these words seem very familiar. And, and it will be not only with you, it will be in you. And I'm going to be with you and in you to the very end of the age. And so this message of Emmanuel, this message of God's presence, it just keeps going 
and going. And like I said, God keeps trying to say it over and over, so maybe hope someday we'll actually get it. And here's what I would like to say this morning is I think generally speaking, God's people are still the same. In the sense that we struggle to remember that not only is God with us, but we essentially struggle to understand what that even means. Because I think most of us intellectually can grasp this idea, but we struggle to actually learn how to actually let that inhabit us and transform us. I've said this over the last five years, but I actually believe that God's presence is probably the most ignored thing in your life. It's the most ignored thing in our lives. That God's presence is something we ignore. And I don't mean that we're, like I said, intellectually unaware, but being in this understanding of God being with us and understanding that that should, if you will, equate to some sort of power and confidence and purpose, I believe that's fleeting for most of us. We're ignoring it in some ways. And a lot of us desire his presence, but if I was going to ask you right now, when's the last time you've really felt the surrounding presence of the Lord in which you would say, I felt like God was with me in such a way that I, I have to tell others about it. It was so powerful. If I asked that question and we went, I mean, so many of us would say, I mean, I intellectually know God's with me, but I don't know if I could actually express a moment in which God's presence was beyond my intellectual comprehension. It was more about my understanding of him actually being with me. I want to take us to a story that probably isn't really used at Christmas very often, but it's 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to that. Like I said, I feel like a lot of times we feel stuck or maybe we feel empty from feeling his presence in quite some time. And 1 Kings 19 is a story about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah's on the run in this story. And Elijah has experienced some just amazing moments with the Lord. God's used him to do some amazing things. But in this chapter, he's totally spent. He's done. He's finished. He doesn't feel like he wants to continue to do much more with his life. And he, all of God's people, he's a prophet, but all of God's people have forgotten that God is with them, that God loves them, God is for them. They've forgotten it. They've, they've started worshiping other idols, and people have actually vowed to kill Elijah. And that's where we pick up the story, starting in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life because people were out to kill him. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, this is the original site of the first brewery in Israel, by the way. <laughs> when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And his servant was happy because he was, never mind. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. All right. So he's left his servant. He's by himself. He's in the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So here he is. He's finished, right? And I don't know about you. Maybe you've never said the words, take my life. Maybe you have. But I know that there's a lot of us that have found ourselves in spots where we just want to quit. We just want to give up. When it comes to not only situations we feel in life, but maybe even in our pursuit of the Lord, maybe in our thoughts about God. And we've had these moments when we're just, we just feel like we're toast. We're just done. And I, I don't know about you, but I, if maybe that's not your experience, but maybe you've experienced and been with other people that they've, they've quit. Specifically, they've quit on maybe the Lord. They've quit on God. Maybe they've gotten too smart for God. You know that person. Or maybe they've, 
They've just gotten too busy for God. Or perhaps I've heard people say this too, that, that they just don't, fe they feel like they're, I've seen it happen more than I've said it. They feel like they're too bad for God. Meaning they, they've, they found themselves getting in some life of sin, some habit of sin, and they feel like they can't come to the Lord anymore. And, and, and I've seen it happen through all sorts of circumstances. It could be anything from addiction to sexual immorality to something, and then they find themselves in a place where they feel like they're, they can't come to the Lord anymore. And here, here's the thing that's interesting about that is, you know, we think that God then in that moment sort of leaves us, like he's gone, like he's departed. And here's the thing, he doesn't leave. He doesn't move. What happens is we turn the ignore volume up. I mean, God is with us, right? And, and we can turn the ignore volume up. Anybody ever ignored someone? You're like, yes, I'm doing it right now. You ever ignored someone and someone says your name? You're like, I don't hear him. You just don't even look. You're in the store and there's that person you don't want to really talk to. And so what you got go into, yeah, I'm going to go into like, like Jedi, like stealth mode where you're like out of their line of sight every second. I've never done that. But you, I saw you to me. I saw you. Listen to this. We think if we ignore God long enough, he'll go away. But guess what? He doesn't. He doesn't. Elijah's at the end of his rope. He's ready to give up. Maybe God will just go away, but he won't. And he begins, God's been trying to tell us this for a long time. He's not going anywhere. So listen to what happens in verse, skip down to verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So he knows that he needs, Elijah needs his presence. He says, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord. I'm about to pass by. You get the, that's crazy. I'm about to pass by you. I can't just show up and show you everything, but if I like, go by really quickly, you might not die. I'm about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord, listen to this, was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So again, God knew that Elijah needed a personal encounter with God. But first he wanted to show him what he was not in, right? He, he wanted to show him, I'm not in the wind. I'm not in the earthquake. I'm not in the fire. And I'm sure like many of us, Elijah is probably like many of us in that we actually look for God in the sort of the dramatic big moments, the big manifestations the, the, of the miraculous or the things that are just like, oh, I was asking God for a question and bam, it just, it just happened. It was this big epiphany, right? And we have these moments where we're like, God is so real because he was there in that big, huge moment. Churches today are often looking to overwhelm and impress. Are you with me? They're looking to overwhelm and impress with versions of wind, fire, and power, when maybe just possibly what we all need is just a gentle whisper. Uh, when the thunder ceased here, right? The lightning was gone. The earth was still. The winds had been hushed. And then out of the midst of the air came a gentle whisper that the Hebrews call a voice of gentle silence. It's, it's almost as if 
the silence had become audible. You know what I'm saying? Somehow the silence was speaking to Elijah in this moment. And I think God with us isn't always, it isn't always a, a miracle. It isn't always a, a worship experience. It isn't always some amazing provision. It's something else. I had, a, I had a mentor one time tell me that our life with the Lord, especially with his presence, is about a lot more about a lot of littles than anything really, than just a few bigs. It's about a lot of little moments in which God is leading us somewhere versus just these few bigs where these few breakthroughs. It's about us having the faithfulness to stay in the game when it's just a little at a time. Let's look at what Elijah did because I feel like this is kind of a version of a little. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So immediately Elijah, he senses that God was present with him. In the still small voice was God's presence in some tremendous way, bigger than the previous, you know, demonstrations of dramatic phenomenon, right? It was bigger than that. And because he sensed the special presence of God, he actually puts his cloak over his face. This is a version of of reverence and being humbled in the presence of God. This is what Elijah is doing, humbled by his presence. Kind of in the same regard of if I asked you, when did you experience God's presence? When's the last time you were humbled in his presence? I mean, Elijah wraps his face in a cloak. Again, sign of reverence, declaring God's greatness. He's not worthy in some ways. When's the last time that We've been humbled in his presence to where it would draw, drive us to our knees, that we'd lay prostrate before the Lord, that we'd cover our faces with our hands because his presence is so great and so real that we have to do that. When do we do that? And this is why I'd say maybe God keeps saying this message over and over again that he's with us because we don't really get it. Because we don't ever really experience his presence or stand humbled in his presence. And maybe he's just saying, I have to keep telling you because I don't think you quite get it just yet. But I'm with you. We need to kind of move on past this story. But God says this um, to Elijah. He says, why are you still here? I'm just going to summarize the rest of the story. Why are you still here? Go back down the mountain and do these things that I'm calling you to do. And Elijah actually goes down the mountain. He's different. He goes up, right, completely defeated. He goes down, and he has this reclaimed purpose for his life. And he also has this renewed confidence in the Lord. All with him because he was in the presence of the Lord. He was done. He was spent. He was finished. And all he did was he went up. He heard the gentle whisper of God. And he had a reclaimed purpose. I want to show you a picture classic nativity right we won't get into how these are biblically inaccurate but nonetheless they do represent what's in the bible um i want you to think about how god showed up in the world we read this story every year and we know it's an incredible story right we know that it's a We might lose the mystery of it. We might lose the wonder of it. We might lose some of the gravity of it, but we understand how incredible it is that God chose a young woman, a teenage girl, Mary, to be a virgin mother of his child. Like, that is a phenomenal story. It's crazy. But he comes as a baby. And this, that fact alone should be like this confusing 
sort of strange, sort of odd thing to us. Jesus, the Son of God, comes and he's born to a young teenage girl. He comes in the most powerless, helpless way possible. Now, I don't know how, if you were the Son of God, how you'd show up in the world. You ever thought, I mean, I know you haven't thought about that, but think about it. I'm telling you, you would not choose this route. Years ago, I was watching a boxing match and this dude parachutes in to the boxing match. You guys remember that? Like, if it was me and I'm thinking, I want everybody in the world to know that I'm arriving. God is gonna be in the building. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to find the biggest event possible to show up and show off. Are you with me? Because this is the son of God. He wants the whole world to know that he's here. It's like Super Bowl, right? Let's just jump into the Super Bowl, parachute in, land in the middle of the field, give me two hot dogs, five buns, I'm gonna feed everybody. I want everybody to know, right? I'm about to, I'm, about to, I'm gonna heal that player and that player so he can play in the game, turning everybody's Dr. Pepper into wine. This is gonna be, everybody knows God is in the building. God showed up to the world because you know what? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that, that would be the way to show up because everybody, all of us, we look for the spectacular. We look for the big. We look for the showcase and we believe in that. But God doesn't differently. He doesn't come with flash. He doesn't come with the resume to make sure he, everybody knows that he's worthy to be praised. He comes into this world as a baby in a nowhere town amid a scandalous pregnancy born in a barn. Isn't that weird? Isn't that a strange way to arrive? He comes in as the weakest of the weak, an infant. He chooses two young, unassuming people in Mary and Joseph. He grows up in a small, dismissed, marginalized town called Nazareth. He comes in the most humble way, everything opposite of spectacular. Yet sometimes we think that we have to present ourselves and present him in spectacular ways. Listen, it's almost like he's a gentle whisper, isn't he? It's, it's almost like in this world that likes grand entrances and spectacular showcases, or in other words, wind, fire, and earthquakes. God operates differently. Maybe perhaps this idea of a silent night is what's actually supposed to speak to us. A quiet, humble night. God in all of his splendor and power is born in a way that's supposed to whisper to all of us, I've come for you. I'm with you. And the only way you hear it is if you stop talking. The only way you hear it is if you quit trying to make more noise. The only way you hear it if you quit looking for God and all the big and the spectacular and you realize the simple, humble way that he came was actually the loudest thing that's ever been spoken in this world. It's like a gentle whisper. God's presence, Emmanuel. It may be the most ignored thing in our life. It may be the thing that we aren't listening to. Perhaps, perhaps we could say it this way, in all the crazy 
hustle and bustle, making sure we take care of business, right? Making sure we do our to-do lists. And a life that you might have that sometimes feels much like a hurricane. One where we believe bigger is better, isn't it? And where we worship the chaos, don't we? We wear our busyness like a badge of honor where we need to be respected because we have so much to do. Perhaps in that world, we might consider that allowing the noise of our life to be cranked up as loud as it is, is just another way of saying we're ignoring that God is with us. And perhaps what's needed is we need to go out on the face of the mountain, wait for his presence, and find ourselves humbled in the presence of the Lord, listening for the sound of silence in which he'll speak. I don't know about you, but this time of the year does not promote silence, does it? So my heart maybe is for the next seven or eight days, maybe there's a way in which you would say every day, I'm going to create moments of silence because I'm not necessarily expecting for him to show up in this spectacular way. But maybe a lot of littles will actually lead me to experience God in a new way this Christmas that I've never experienced him before because I've always tried to look for him in bigger ways. And maybe I need to look for him in the smaller, more humble, more quiet ways in which I'm just quiet before the Lord and I let him speak if he chooses. So perhaps over these days leading to Christmas, we would enter into silence and let God's presence surround us. And you may find yourself needing to cover your face or go to your knees. Who knows? So today I want to end a little differently. I want to experience a few moments of silence together. Um, obviously no earthquakes or hurricanes, please, but... Uh, I want to create a moment where we allow the silence um, to speak to us. And I don't know what or if God will speak to any of us or to a few of us. But like I said, maybe there's a little that happens today, and that's what God wants to do. So I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, um, uh, there's just going to be a couple moments of silence. And I'm going to encourage you in those moments to not only bow your heads, but to, to listen. And perhaps you may feel led in that too. Take a posture of reverence. You may want to cover your face. You may want to even kneel. You may want to raise a hand of praise and honor. Um, but I, I, it's your time with the Lord. So there'll just be some silence for a few minutes, and then our worship team will lead us in one more song to declare the goodness of God's presence together. You guys okay with this? Let's pray together. Father, for a few moments, we want to say that we acknowledge you are with us and we want to humble ourselves before you and listen. God, in a, in a world that tries to drown you out and tries to forget that you're with us, Lord, would you let us, your people, not only understand this message in new and fresh ways, but may we apply it and may we live according to it. 
May Father, we may we seek you in in ways that allow you to speak in the silence. God, we we acknowledge even the way you came into this world and the fact that we've sort of coined it as a silent night, a simple, humble night where you were born in a barn, Lord. May, May that speak to us in new ways, that it's not just some fairy tale, nice little children's story, but that, Lord, it's a it's an intentional act in which you were trying to tell the world, quit trying to look for me in the wrong places. But that, Lord, we would look for you in the silence and in the stillness and in the peace of this world. And so, God, I pray for these next few moments as we sit together in reverent silence, that, Lord, we would have ears to hear. I pray these things in your name. Amen.